The Focus of God is a series that we are currently journeying through uh, that deals more specifically with the topic of the sanctuary. And so today we are going into our, our third uh, installment or our third part, and we're going to be talking about what takes place inside the sanctuary a little bit. We have been talking and discussing of what happens when somebody comes to, to the sanctuary. We know that when we look at this rendering of what the sanctuary may have looked like, which I believe is pretty close, it shows us that there was a clear delineation that separated the outside world from the inside. God clearly instituted something uh, that is called a difference between how the world acts or how the world worships compared to how he expects us to worship him. There is, rather than me tell, let me ask, which direction did the sanctuary face? That is, which direction did the gate face? North, south, east, or west? How many of you think north? Oh, now you guys scared. How many of you think south, west, east? Okay. So this sanctuary, the gate faced the east. It faced the east. Here's why. When the people of Israel left Egypt, they, the Egyptians were accustoming to worship the sun god, and they would rise up, and which direction and wh- does the sun rise? East. So they would face the sun, and, and God intentionally said, I want you to f- have the sanctuary facing the east, so when you come in, you have your back to the sun. God wants us to turn our backs to the way in which the world, and I say that loosely, I don't like to say that, uh, utilize that term. He wants our worship to be intentional and to be focused on him. That was the original desire from the get-go. When God created Adam and Eve, there was no law that was established because the law was written in their hearts. The Sabbath was instituted before there was a tablet of stone written with God's own finger that was given to Moses. And you can read earlier in the book of Exodus that Moses told Pharaoh, I want my I want God's people, God wants his people to go to worship him and celebrate the Sabbath. This was written before the Ten Commandments. 
And so when we look at the sanctuary, we have noticed already that there is a big square box that points us to this altar of sacrifice. And we looked at that last week, and that represents Jesus, how he came and he became our sacrifice. And the animals, how that represented Jesus being offered a lamb for the sin offering that takes care of the sin. Now, was their sin right there and then forgiven? That's a technical and a big theological debate that many people argue, and they can spend hours majoring on the minors. But here, we have something that points us to Jesus. And then after the, the, the priests were, were done sprinkling and, and, and laying the blood on the altar and laying the parts of the bull, because it was too large of an animal to be placed whole by one individual, so they would cut it up and they would separate the inside and they would put it inside. And so you can imagine how dirty they, they got. And the purpose of having the bronze laver which is, stands in between the sanctuary and the altar, was so they could wash themselves and walk into the sanctuary clean. Again, highlighting that we must, when we approach God, we must renounce our sins. Because God requires us perfect worship. And what does perfect worship look like? Perfect worship is one where you wholly surrender, holy as in the entire person, surrenders everything, as we've just sung, to God. So now we move in to the holy place. The holy place is, consists of three furnitures. First of all, is, is one of them that is the only element that produces light in, inside the sanctuary, which is the golden lampstand. As you can see, this rendition or rendering of, 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 of this for, uh, furniture piece, there is almost like a cup-like top. That's where the priests would come in and they would put the lamps rested on top. Inside the lamps were olive oil. And going from the outside, there was a wick. This was done every morning and evening. They would come in. That was the only source of light inside the sanctuary, outside of the Shekinah glory. Sharon's going to be talking a little bit about that in the coming next week. But this is the only light source that came that was inside. Now you have to remember that the sanctuary was built with, with the intentions to become a portable building. And each part of the sanctuary was about 15 feet high by 30 inches wide, by 3 inches thick of acacia wood. Along with that, 
all of those planks that served as the walls were overladen with gold, pure gold. And so when the light from this lampstand was at its brightest or when all of the lampstands were lit, the light reflected from the gold inside the sanctuary, thus making the place really, really shiny. We are not given any specific measurements of of how high or how big it was, but scholars think that this was about five and a half feet tall. But the Bible tells us that this was made of pure gold, pure beaten gold. So it weighed somewhere around 110 pounds. I got curious. The current price per ounce of gold today is $1,958.80. When you do the math, this piece alone was worth $3.4 million in today's world economy. And to think about how they built this, and I mentioned this in the very first sermon, is that God enabled men and women to work in the sanctuary with gifts. They endowed them with gifts. And when he called for an offering, people gave freely to the building of the tabernacle. Now, this is not the only thing. As I mentioned to you, the entire walls were laden with gold in each plank. But it wasn't the only things that were overladen with gold. All the furnitures were overladen with gold. And the Ark of the Covenant was overladen with gold. And the table of showbread was overladen with gold. And the altar of incense was overladen with gold. There was gold everywhere. God loves gold. The Bible also tells us that the new Jerusalem and its walls are going to be what? Gold. The roads are going to be transparent gold, however that's going to look like. But let's stick to this for a little bit. As the priests were, had the responsibility to light these lamps every morning and every evening, We know that everything focused on Jesus. Everything was a type of, that prefigured what Jesus would bring. So when we look at the Bible in John chapter 8 verse 12, it's no surprise to us that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Everything that is happening in inside the sanctuary focuses on something, on the, on the purpose of Jesus' life. On the outside, we see the purpose that he, he came to 
die for us so, so we could have hope and we could have forgiveness. But when we come inside the sanctuary, there's a different component to this. And I'll come back to it a little bit later. But Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. There is no darkness. I mean, can you think about it? When the Shekinah glory was not inside the sanctuary, and if the lamps were not lit, there is nothing that you could do because you couldn't see. There was no windows in the sanctuary. There was only one door that could walk as you walked in, but you still had three sides that were covered. And facing the east, most likely only in the morning did you have direct sunlight inside, but then the afternoon... There is nothing else, and it became dark. And now you begin to see when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, when you're looking at the sanctuary, that he's the one who provides the ability for the priests to function and execute the functions for which they were called to do. Keep that in the back of your head. We're going to revisit this concept here a little bit later. Then we also had the altar of incense. It was about three feet tall and 18 inches, just slightly narrower than this podium here. 18 inches square. Again, this is something that was supposed to be done every morning and every evening. The intention was that when the priest would come before this altar, he would light this incense, in which, by the way, the incense was designed specifically for the use of this sanctuary. God was explicit that he said, do not make this type of incense for yourself or you will be cut off. We need to be careful that when we offer something to God, that we don't take that for ourselves. When we come and present our gifts to God, we're not doing it with the intention of enhancing ourselves with it. God wants us to offer in this particular thing, the incense which ascended to God, and, and he was very careful in what he said. This is going to be a pleasing aroma. Do you know why he wanted something to smell good? Because all the coverings were made up of animal skin that covered the roof in it, there was no ventilation. They were in a desert. There was an altar that was burning wood and, and animals. And if there was, and the wind came in just right, sometimes that doesn't smell good at all. But the incense was a sweet and pleasant smelling aroma that was designed specifically at the time of prayer. That's why prayer is considered to be something that is pleasing before the sight of God. 
We see it in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 141, verse 2. It says, let my prayer set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. See, oftentimes I have heard people say, I feel like my prayer does not pass through the ceiling. It's not the job of prayers to pass through the ceiling. When you pray, God draws near. He doesn't sit up on a throne waiting for your prayers to ascend. He comes close and he hears and he listens. And he acknowledges and he answers your prayers. But sometimes we think they don't ascend past the ceiling because we have not washed before coming into the presence of God. And what I mean by that is symbolically. We have not confessed all of our sins. We have not dealt with what is hindering us in our relationship with God. And thus we stay in that state of, okay, Lord, I know I'm praying you to you because I need help with this particular area of my life, but I have not yet addressed the area that needs to be addressed, but can you help me out? When God illustrate, has illustrated for us that he wants total surrender, which means total confession. It's okay to confess to God. It does the body good. It relieves the burdens that you're carrying on your shoulders. That is why the priests would walk in into the sanctuary and lift these prayers because they were interceding on behalf of the people. They said, Lord, forgive their sins. And Jesus intercedes on our behalf right now. This is what points us to Jesus. He intercedes us for us in our behalf. The other furniture element is the table of showbread. Roughly about two and a half feet tall, 18 inches wide by 36 inches long. There were 12 loaves or 12 cakes of bread that were put onto this table. And, and these loaves of bread, they were exchanged. They were put, placed there freshly on Sabbath on the seventh day. The old ones were eaten by the priests. The priest that would actually, not the priests plural, the priest singular. He would come in and he would eat as much as he could. And the rest was burnt. See, when we offer something to God, it now belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us anymore. Our tithes, our offerings, our homes, our, our families, our possessions, if we take it and we say, Lord, this is yours, I have no more right to dictate what happens to that element. And so this was a clear illustration of that. God says, put aside these, four, these, these 12 breads, one for each tribe. That's why there were 12. 
they are mine. In each Sabbath, you renew the bread. This is a reminder of the covenant that God had established with them. And so as the priests would do this, it showed us and it pointed us to Jesus. Why? Because in John chapter 6, verse 51, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Here you have the three elements of the sanctuary connected, all looking at Jesus, all looking at what happens. But when you look at what's inside the sanctuary, we already talked about that on the outside was the sacrifice that Jesus gave. But on the inside, it focuses on what allowed and what strengthened Jesus to perform his sacrifice. Wait, Pastor Art, where'd you get that from? Because when we look at our spirituality, though the furniture's always pointed us to God, though the furniture's always pointed us to Jesus and, they, and how he came and he lived a life, we are, have been given disciplines for which we can continue to do the same thing, but now in a different environment. We no longer have a sanctuary that we, we can go and, and present a sacrifice because the type met the antitype. We don't need to have 12 pieces of, of loaves of bread sitting on our kitchen countertop dedicated to God and then changing it out on Sabbath because Jesus came and he fulfilled that through his death on the cross. We don't need to necessarily be putting an incense and burning it because... Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Amen. However, professing that you believe in Jesus is not enough. I said that, and you can quote me. Now say it again. Professing that you believe in Jesus is not enough. Why? Because even the demons believe and they tremble at his name. So belief is not enough. That's why the elements inside is what I believe things that Jesus did in his, while he was alive that enabled him to go to the cross. Why? Eating of the bread represents communion and Bible study. The Bible says that Jesus, as at 12 years old, he was already talking with the scholars of his time when he was at the temple at the age of 12. Jesus knew the Bible backwards and forwards. But the Bible at that time was the Old Testament. We now have the New Testament as well. One does not cancel out each other. As a matter of fact, they complement each other. But when Jesus said, 
in John chapter 6, verse 55 and 6, says, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. The flesh that Jesus is talking about is not just the wafer that we have on communion once every quarter. It's actual Bible study. When you take time to read what's in here and you learn what God is, is, is trying to teach you, God wants us to be able to consume what's in here so that we can see clearly the plans that he has outlined for us. Bible study alone will get you so far. The other element is prayer. As the burning of incense resembled the, the prayers that ascended before the Father, so too we must have a prayer time in our own personal lives. The Bible teaches us that the priest came and did this burning of incense morning and evening. And there are numerous, numerous texts in the Bible that Jesus, early in the morning, he sought the Father. Do not raise your hands, but I will ask the question. How often do you have a dedicated time for prayer? during the week do you have a dedicated time for prayer during the week do you have a dedicated time for bible study during the week well pastor my schedule i get it i have a schedule too but if I'm not actively going into my Bible and looking to what the Scriptures has to reveal to me, I, how will I ever find God's purpose in my life? How will I ever find God's purpose for this community, this church? Paul in, in Thessalonians, he writes, Rejoice always, pray without... Okay, three people are with me. This is a new concept for some of you then. To pray without ceasing means that you pray all the... Okay, more people are starting to wake up. All the time. Praying to God, asking him, Lord, should I, should I go down this road? Should I pass this car? Should I say, bless you for cutting me off? Yeah. All the time. I'll, I'll also hand this to you that it takes practice. If, you, if all your prayer is, Lord, Thank you for this food. Thank you for blessing us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You will not know how to pray from the heart. If your prayer has become mechanical, it's because you're not praying enough. 
If your prayer feels like it's not ascending past the ceiling, it's because you're not praying enough with your heart. And sometimes it means that you have to call yourself out. There's an old song that the lyric says, how long has it been since you talked with God? How long has it been since you prayed in that manner? Praying without ceasing means that you're talking with God all the time. And he will reveal his answers to you. There's one more item, right? There are three. There's the illuminating. That is witnesses. When you study your Bible, when you pray to God, I guarantee you, you'll have things to talk about with people that you didn't even know you had to talk about. Because God will reveal himself in such a way to you that he's going to say, I want you to share this with somebody because I've just put this in your heart. And you'll be like, no. Really? And then, and then you get to that person and God's like, tell them. And you're like, uh-uh. No. I can't. But when you pray without ceasing and you study the scriptures, God is going to open an opportunity for, for you to reveal who God is through his son Jesus. Because Jesus said, I, you are the light of the world. Wait, Pastor Ari, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but now you're telling me that I am the light of the world. Yes, because if you believe in Jesus, you believe in his sacrifice, you believe in what he has done for you, you believe that he is interceding on your behalf, and that is good news. And you will want to share that with those you come into contact with. Because that, has, that is the only consequence of you having a relationship with God, is sharing that relationship with others. That's the consequence. The consequence of Jesus coming to this world is not that you can say, okay, I believe you. Take me home. That was never the point. The point was for him to reveal God's true character through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you can have a relationship with him. And relationships aren't just, hi, good to see you. See you later. I'll see you tomorrow. It's like the story of that very well successful businessman that he comes and he says, son, I love you. And he walks out. Son, I love you. And he walks out. Son, I love you. And he walks out. His mother approaches his son one day. Hey, get ready. Your, your father's coming home. He wants, to, he wants to have dinner with you. My father doesn't. All he says is he loves me, but he doesn't spend any time with me. When we don't study the Bible, when we don't pray, and we don't witness we are just like that successful businessman who only says, Lord, I believe you, but 
we don't spend any time with them. Spending time with God is important to the point that it will determine the success of your spirituality. And let me just break it to you. You may know this or you may have heard this already. But coming to church once a week ain't cutting it. Coming to church once a week, if you're consistent, good for you. But ain't cutting it. According to Barna, they said that consistency now is labeled somebody who comes to church twice a month. Mercy. Oh, I don't need to come to church. <laughs> yes, you do. Because when people who are passionate about God, they will want to be engaged with people of the same passion. Amen. That may look a little different. That's okay. But we need each other. We need each other. And if we're not strengthening ourselves with our own spiritual walk with God, I'm not going to be able to stand the person next to me on Sabbath because we're going to be that much different, that much apart, because we're not connected with the source of why we're here. But when you study and you pray, and you share, oh, Sabbath is a joy. Oh, how much of a joy that is. Only if, you, only if you are in it, you will understand. And unfortunately, not all of you are. It pains me to say this. And I'm not trying to call anybody out. But the reality is that we allow our schedules to overwhelm us. And we take the time to do everything but prayer, study, and witness. When you walk into the holy place of the sanctuary, we are reminded of those three things, and Jesus did all that and then more. But he gave us this window into what enabled him to go through the cross. If you remember... Jesus is, I have this picture of Jesus kneeling over, laying over a rock. And I remember seeing this picture as a young boy in my grandfather's wall. And Jesus is looking up, there's a glow about him, and he's looking up. And in the bottom of that picture was written, not my will, but yours. Even the most powerful human being who has ever walked this earth surrendered everything for me. Not my will, but yours. It's hard sometimes. And it's hard to... Keep up the discipline. But man, you feel so much lighter. You feel so much, you breathe so much easier. 
and the day goes by real quick because you're connected. There's another element I want to bring to your attention. And it has to deal with what we're doing as a growing together. We believe that this world is going to come to an end. Do we believe that? Yes. Okay, I got most of you. We believe as this world is going to come to an end, we believe that Jesus is going to come back. Do we believe that? But you know what has to happen before he comes back? We have to share. We have to share. I'm not talking about the persecution. That's for another time. But you know what will enable us to go through that? Prayer, Bible study, and sharing. But in order for that to happen, we need to share. But listen to this. In the closing scenes of this earth's history, many children and youth who receive a true Christian education will astonish people by their witness to the truth, which will be born in simplicity, yet the spirit and power. They have been taught the fear of the Lord, and their hearts have been softened as a careful and prayerful study of what? In the near future, many children will be endued with the Spirit of God. And it will do a work proclaiming the truth to the world. They will do a work in the world that not all the powers of evil can counteract. But you know how they're going to be able to do this? Bible study, prayer, and sharing. You want to grow together? You want to share? In order for you to share, you got to have substance. Not too long ago, I was at a chaplain's conference. And this colonel select, what that means is that he's already been selected to be promoted to become a colonel but was still wearing the lieutenant colonel rank. He's kind of like the, the president of a conference, let's put it that way. And he was sharing with us, and one thing stuck out in my, in my head that I will not forget. He says, you guys are called as chaplains to minister to a broken society. And he's talking about broken people within the scope of the military. And he said, you, you guys need to have something in the well. In other words, you can't just share something you have not experienced. You need to have something in the well. How deep that well may be will depend on you and I on how much time we spend with God. This morning, I want to encourage you, and I want to make his words mine. Have something in the well. 
I pray that your well is not dry. But if it is, I know somebody who said, I am the living water. And anyone who comes to me will never thirst. If you find that your well is dry, come to Jesus. And this morning I want to challenge you. As you go home, focus this week on Bible study, on prayer, and ask God to show you somebody that you can witness to. This is how you will grow, and this is how we will grow together. God bless you.